This is the Rejoicing in the Word podcast coming to you from the capital region of the Susquehanna Valley. My name is Josh Hamilton. I'm here today with Pastor Brandon Starnes, and we have veteran missionary Dan DeLong on the podcast today. We're going to be talking about preparation for missions. And before we do that, I just want to remind you of our direct link for the podcast. You can find us at svbcpa.org forward slash rwpod. Also remember to check out the Rejoicing in the Word blog. That's at svbcpa forward slash rwblog. And also you can check us out at svbcpa.org forward slash rwmin. And remember, season two, we're doing some giveaways here, so make sure you get onto Facebook and you message us your email, like us there, and we want to put your name into a drawing. Also, if you're not on Facebook, make sure you go to the church website and um, get your name in there. Go down to the contact section, send us your email, send us your first and last name, and then also remember to send us a little note in there that you like to apply your name for the drawing. And we have some slate coasters with the Rejoicing in the Word logo on them. We want to give those to some of the people that we draw their names. We also have some volume set devotionals that we'd like to get out as well. So make sure you avail yourself of that. So as we begin here, let's just, um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, Brother DeLong. How many years have you been in missions? When did that all start? I started in ministry in 1975. And then in 1992, the Lord began to work on my heart. I was in a a good-sized church, Bible college, bus ministries, youth ministries, camp ministries. And then the Lord called me into missions. Uh, Dr. Uh, Don Sisk from Baptist International Missions was preaching in our college and our missions emphasis there at the church I was at. And then as the Lord led me <clears throat> in 1993, I believe it was, in 95, we went to the, 94, we went to the mission field. Uh, we started a church on the backside of Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. And uh, my wife and I, God blessed us, uh, our very first week, uh, we uh, invited 24 basically bus kids and a couple of parents to church. And then within seven years, God had blessed that ministry where it was running almost uh, about 500 every week on Sunday mornings. We had a Christian school and a Bible college of Christian school, about 300 and a Bible college of about uh, about a hundred on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, Thursday evenings. And out of that, today uh, we have thirty-two some churches in the Moresby district or Central District. Out of that ministry, that are all pastored by national pastors, they have Christian schools, Bible colleges. I moved on from there and went into um, church planning uh, in Trinidad and Tobago, then on into Australia. And then Baptist International Missions asked me to be a director for them for candidate school, deputation, pre-field missionaries. So that's what I've been doing, and uh, God has blessed our ministry. So you deal a lot with helping missionaries prepare yes, for sir. going to the field. And mm-hmm. also, we also want this podcast to be a help for people that are considering what God would do in their hearts, um, considering if God is calling them to missions. Mm. And so this is just great to have you on here and be able to talk to us here about that. Yeah, we had a mutual friend of ours passed away some time ago, Brother Gary Forney, and uh, he was one of my first, one of the first guys that sat down with the Bible and really began to comprehensively challenge me about missions. And he made this statement once, because I used to be moved by, you know, a missions conference with a good missions presentation. 
that man, I was I was called to like twenty different fields in my mind. I never vocalized it, but he, he made this statement. He said the only reason for one to go to the field, it's not the love of the people. And that was a shock because I always felt, you know, boy, you love these people. Uh, it's not even your personal desire. It's not even the need uh, that the gospel has. He said it's the calling, a specific call. And, of course, any specific call has specific um, required preparation. And so that's what we want to direct today. Uh, obviously, you've had um, a great opportunity to assist many in aiding them to the mission field. And as we focus on folks that might, maybe even our conference right now, they're they're thinking about, well, maybe that's what the Lord's going to uh, do and have me in my life to engage in. What are some areas, maybe some qualities, uh, some some spiritual markers, you will, uh, that uh, the Lord will use in their life to help them as uh, they follow God's leading in their life? What are maybe some qualities that you see uh, that that folks looking, praying about ministry, missions, might need to develop in their life? Well, to start right off the bat, some special markers that you mentioned there. One of the one I've seen in my ministry uh, dealing with missionaries is they have to be self-starting, self-motivating, and uh, of course take take for granted the fact that they're called by God, and they have to be called, or it will not work. And then that self-starting missionary was one that that it learns to. Not only trust God, but I use the term, we can't get ahead of God, but they they always have a vision for the future for their ministry, and they don't live in the past. And being a self-starter, they have to be, in my world and everybody I've dealt with, not all missionaries are outgoing, or they're really not sanguine, not all of them, some are quiet, but you have to be a people person. And in that, where you, especially if you're called to a foreign field, you got to be able to connect with people, and you can't do that by staying home, by not being a self-starter. Before that, the Holy Spirit, if he called you, he's going to motivate you. And basically what you're asking is, what is the marker for those that have been successful? And I use the term, <clears throat> the, with the men, is you got to be able to get out there with the people. And so does your wife. They have to accept the culture. And the early risers will be the ones first to their Bible. They'll be the ones first to have their relationship with the Lord. And uh, to be a successful, you, I wrote down a second thing here, would be know how to listen. And most Americans, we have the answer to the question before the question is asked. And we come from our own life experiences, and we usually insert the answer before the person has explained themselves. In the Asian culture, they think right to left. We Yanks, we think, or Aussies, we think left to right. And so you have to learn to listen. And in counseling, whether it's the United States or Papua New Guinea, as a missionary, you will have to counsel people. And one of the markers is they, when they know that you're listening and they know you have an empathy. And it's, uh, as you mentioned earlier, a good missionary, it's not about the love of the people that drives him. Yeah. It's love that God's put in his heart for those people. And so that's important. Self-starting, listening, and then a missionary with some backbone. And what do you mean by that? There's tough decisions. You have to be kind and gracious. 
And there's different ways to say no, and there's different ways to say yes, but have a consistency about you as a missionary. And it's not a political thing. Even raising support is a ministry, but it's a short-time ministry for missionaries. When you get to the field, it's a long-term thing. And it takes time to develop that. So it's uh, that their backbone thing is important to always stay with God's word, but always keep your word. And that you'll be tested on that. That matter of consistency is a very important thing, I, I would imagine, in every field. Uh, something we've obviously um, had to envelop in our life as well. Uh, people respond certain ways to a level of consistency. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's important for, uh, I think it's a part of consistency as part of this, that maturity, maybe even spiritual maturity in life. And to your point there about some of those qualities, uh, having a walk with God that is real and genuine, uh, no doubt plays an important role in that. Um, when I think of a spiritually mature person, uh, we might could even talk about someone that espouses uh, things like like patience and humility. Mm -hmm. You know, when you do that, <clears throat> it is important to understand uh, before you get to the field, you and your wife have an understanding that that the, the patience and direction that you're going is a lifetime investment. And markers of a good missionary would have that settled before they got to the field. Once they're in the field, on the field, where God has them, as a missionary, you need to start not discipling only the new converts, and I'm big in discipling, but also discipling the leadership in that church. And they will come to the top. They will come out. They're not the first ones to greet you or the first ones to smooze you. They'll be the ones in that culture kind of stays back. And as you listen, they listen to you. As they want you, then they accept you. Those are the future leaders of that church. And I would, in all my ministries, uh, have a special uh, three to four hour night, whether it's in New Guinea, Australia, or Trinidad and Tobago, where it was like leadership for men and ladies if they would come. And I would do that nine to ten months a year on a Monday night when I didn't have anything else going on. And it was basically pastoral leadership. And showed them from Scripture how it works. And those people are still in these churches today, 20 years later. And it's not about numbers, but it's about doing what God puts in your heart to do. And I just basically, when it says about they were doing the Apostles' Doctrine <laughs> and house to house in yeah. the book of Acts, it's not rocket science. And I kind of took that like, I think that's what that means. And... Um, in the five churches in the Port Moresby area, they're all God. I mean, they've grown better than I, I grew best when I left because the national pastors understood it even deeper than I did. But I'd already contaminated them over a four or five year period every Monday night. And uh, it was a split culture, but they, they caught on to it when I said, now I'm moving on. And it wasn't, oh, we can't do it. Our lives are over. Our patient, our, our Talbot, or our big man more yet. He's, he's leaving us. No, that's a failure as a missionary. You, you trained them to be on their own. And I learned that from, like, you planted a church here, and you have to train your leadership. You have to disciple them before that. But, like, 
they watch you like a hawk on these foreign fields as a yank. And so you have to be very careful. What you teach is what you have to live. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hope that's it <laughs> on that subject. You know. Well, you know, we think of the spiritual maturity and, and the humility to be able to learn there. Uh, what are some relationships that uh, perspective an individual uh, maybe looking towards missions or ministry what are some relationships that they really need to hone in on? Number one, I think number one is their mentors. They've got to have not one, but I, my mentors are all passing away because I'm getting older. But I usually had three, you know. Um, Bill Barron's was one. He's in heaven now. And Dr. Sisk, uh, Dr. Mike Edwards, um, a couple other pastors. When you have to make decisions, what would you think of this? Is what I, you know. And then I get a lot of calls now as I get older, but it's that mentorship. And I think every missionary, he can say he's the Lone Ranger and he's the only one within five thousand miles. You need to take a deep, a deep breath and back that up a little bit because where I've been around the world, the gospel, it's not been everywhere, but the people do know. Of what a missionary is and what you've come what you're supposed to do. Yeah. yeah. And so mentorship is important. And secondly, when you get to that field as an American, you, you take America with you. And whether you try not to, you, I, we use the term in Southeast Asia, don't become tropo. You know, you show up on Monday and you're dressed like the natives in a, like a hula outfit or a grass skirt or, you know, you flip flops in the, you know, you got a bone in your nose. That, that, that's not what they want. And I've seen some mission agencies and missionaries, that's what they do as soon as they get there. And there is a way to reach them. But most, most places where I've been in ministry is they respect the American missionary that respect them. And then as an American missionary, a caveat is what's his friends like? And whether the other American missionaries or people in that country, national pastors, does he mix with them? And if he doesn't, okay, there, there's, there's a little flag comes up. And if it's only a certain group, the little flag goes up. And is he, how's he spent his time on the field, you know? And uh, the nationals watch all of this, so the word accountability comes up. You have the mentor, and you've got to have the right friends. Then you, as that missionary, must have a direction about you. And uh, where people say, you know, yeah, I know him. And it's not in a bad way. It's I know him in a good way. Some of the fields I've been on, some missionaries are known as movie missionaries. That means they just stay in their house and watch movies all day. Other ones are, they're scholars. All they do is study. And then you ask those nationals, which missionary do you really respect the most? And I'll say the one that lives with us. And so that's a book of Acts thing again, where when uh, Paul would do his ministries, and you study that, and other missionaries in the New Testament, they went to the people that God called them to yeah. specifically. So that's why it's important, a good thing also as a, trait as we're talking about here in missions is if that guy is laser focused and he may not be a good preacher he may not not be an outstanding soul winner he may not uh, you know uh, be perfect in how he dresses but he's laser focused with his family and then he's laser laser focused in that local area where god's called him to serve and usually that laser focus is the first steps that show if that guy's going to be successful. He's right there. A lot of that would start not 
when they get to the field, but in those very formative years in their Christian growth, believing mm. that's what God wants them to right. do. Uh, so a relationship that they would have within the, the church, their assembly, that has to be of mm. great importance as well. Mm. Uh, how do churches go about, and your expectation, those that do it well, in molding and training young folks for the purpose of world missions? First of all, they need to have a, a program, I believe, that, that where they... Uh, in their youth groups where they have a vision to get the kids and the kids' parents to the mission field over a one, two, three-year period or format where you have a goal for them. Let's say in 2026, we're going to go to Mexico City, serve for 10 days with this missionary. Well, that takes a lot of logistics, but the whole thing is to get that person out there, to get that teenager to actually... Uh, uh, you know, feet on the mission field. And um, and I know they're not all that mature, but boy, once they get out there and they make a connection with the uh, MK kids or missionary kids, the MKs, but also the youth in these other countries. Are, the only difference is sin is sin the same around the world. The only difference is, is uh, accents, and but the hearts are all the same. Yeah. And youth are so accommodating, they're so acclimating, if I can use that term, they they don't they don't filter. They don't they're not uh, can I say cynical yet. And so they accept you for who you are. And I reversed that when I went to the mission field, probably eight through fourteen, fifteen years of age, you know, age eight to fifteen, sixteen, and started a youth group. And man, that thing in three years was running about hundred and thirty. And all those people are in the, today, they're in their 30s, 40s, year, year age preacher, where they're in all these churches that we have around Morsby. And they're the leadership of that thing. But it started with, you know, us taking time with them. But they taught me more. So you, when you get your kids to the youth of a church, uh, to get them invested, the eye does affect the heart. And you can show all the videos you want, but when you have a goal set that, in 18 months is what we're going to do. So go out there and make some money, mow some yards, get that money put uh, put aside and, you know, buy, uh, you know, a good pair of boots and buy clothes that you're going to give away when you leave that mission field to somebody that you befriend. And there's a lot of churches that do that. And those are the ones that get the hearts of young people today to go into missions in six, eight, ten years from now. Uh, the matter of preparation, we dealt with a moment ago, like consistency, mm. consistency on the field and things of that nature. How much does this uh, individual's ability to have some spiritual discernment play in their uh, role of being successful? We'll circle back to that in a moment. Mm. Um, successful as a missionary. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful as an American missionary to learn how to read people. Uh, people will come to you to use you. And they're not interested in anything else but the cargo you have. Uh, and it's deeper than just hearing you talk as an American. They're not used to our language. But you can tell, and the word, this is a hard word I'm going to use, there are con artists in, in missions today on mission fields that they live to take the American missionary for a ride. And you have to be discerning. And as you do that, God will give you wisdom. And that's why I always use the word mentorship here in America, but all us from pastors, 
but you need mentorship from your national pastor, or national people, people in your church, people you trust. And discipleship and mentorship classes that I used to do, that it was better for me and it was the people I was trying to mentor because they taught me how they thought. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, pastor, he's trying to use you. Oh, musky, they would say, no, no good man, he's coming to talk. And I mean, the guy would come in with like a, a little song and dance, how great he was, and he wanted to be something part of the church, if I could only do this first. He said, in our culture, wait till the end. And Americans don't do that. We always deal right up front. And I listened to that, that older gentleman and, and, the, and the culture I was in. It was the seventh or eighth question, what they was really after. And they'll go all over that yard or around the house. So I developed a technique is when I saw he was doing that, I said, let's get to the point. And just what are you really here for? And they would look at me and go, what do you mean, pastor? What are you really here for? And the honest one will say money. Uh, I want a Bible. Why is that? Well, I want to sell it at the market. <laughs> and you give it to me. Tracks, they do the same thing. I would never learn those things in this question if it wasn't that I listened to the nationals. I wouldn't do it at first because I'm American and it's my way right. you know, or the highway. But God taught me the patience and I learned to listen. And I have a couple of classes I teach. What, what the heathen of Papua New Guinea taught me that I thought I already knew. And it's just, it grew me up. And I was as naive as 20-year-olds. And uh, I don't want to be cynical, but i got to be honest. That, that To answer your question, I learned more from my national people that grew in the Lord. And that that's when I knew that was the place, one of the places right. for me. As we're speaking about successful, you know, we're, we're looking at one that just fulfills God's will for their life. Because, you know, it's not all about the numbers. Right. And, and really, there's some successful missionaries that labor in places that even even we've lost to the knowledge of t- to time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of some relationships that uh, missionaries, prospective missionaries, ministers should have, it seems to me that the church is is one of those impactful places. Mm-hmm. I I may not I, I did not research this for the cast, but I, I believe it was um, George Grenfell, mm-hmm. who was out in the Congo, was influenced by uh, David Livingston coming through. He's just a a young person attending church, you know, little uh, neighborhood Baptist church, and and I believe it's David Livingston came through, and that influenced him for world missions and. Uh, Granville as a hold was interesting fella. He had mm-hmm. apprenticed at a, um, a, well, really a, a manufacturing plant that made ships. And that's, that was the skill trait that he would use later as he would build the print, the uh, piece, mm-hmm. HMS piece, and he would navigate up the Congo with. And so, uh, you know, we've talked about this throughout this week, but what, what is the important role uh, that the home church plays in the life of that prospective missionary? Well, I believe, first of all, is to encourage that missionary. Once they take them on for support, and they should support that missionary on the field where God's called him, and not only support him financially, and like you mentioned earlier in the conversation, learn how to pray for your missionaries. Learn their consequences that they're in, and learn the catastrophes they're going to face and you know and you learn to pray for your missionary that really builds a bond 
And um, every year for the last, uh, it's been 27 years, my wife's home church, where we got married at in 1975, sends, this is unbelievable what they do, every year, no matter where we are, they do the 25 days of Christmas from December 1 till December 26th, and they have a different family in that church that sends us a card with their picture and what they've done for us for like uh, 12 months and praying for us. That's the only church that's done that. And I've had others do it from time to time. Let me say this. Your first year on the mission field, you get 100 letters from the states. Second year, it's 50. Third year, it's 20. Fourth year, we didn't even know you're one of our missionaries. That's usually what happens. Churches in America get busy, and we and I get that. And there's other missionaries, and I get that. But a church to connect with a missionary that you support on a, I wouldn't have to be every month, but you say, hey, we are really praying for you. And I put those cards up in my office at VIMI or Australia or Papua New Guinea. And from December to, I mean, I leave it up to about March 1st. And I praise the Lord for those people because they are actually pulling for me. And inside of their cards, they have a 30-day click-off where you just check it off, where they paid. We honestly prayed for you for 30 days in a row. And that means a lot to a missionary. And uh, so that is a way to connect. And then, you know, missionaries, hey, we're going to send you some socks from our mission bureau. <laughs> but that worked in 1960. And they do appreciate the socks. Do not get me wrong when I'm saying this. <clears throat> send them money. <laughs> not through buying them off, but send them a card and say, take that wife out to eat. And um, even check the country out. You know, we don't have McDonald's in Papua New Guinea. you know, And we don't have a Chick-fil-A or any of that thing. But, hey. Uh, find out what's in that country, and we want you to take your wife there, and we want you to enjoy. And we've sent this, and we're praying for it, but we sent this to you. And then also, some pastors will have their church, uh, the pastor usually does it, will send like, you gave me books this week. Starting to read that one already. And that encourages that missionary. When you do more than just send him a gift card, hey, there's this book, you may never read it, but it's by... Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Brandon starred, uh, Starnes on how to help your missionaries, how to pray for your missionaries. That is key, and uh, missionaries will never forget that. In ministry and missions and here in the States, when you bury somebody and when you marry somebody, they never forget that. When somebody in the mission field especially, we have house cries in New Guinea where you stay in that house with a dead person as a pastor, for seven days, uh, or three days, or five days, whether the family asks, you'll stay on the property. You don't go home. You sleep in another room, but you're there as they mourn through this as Christians. They never forget that. And in the world of a missionary, when that pastor comes to the field, or when that church does something special for them, they won't forget that. You know, this, this is an encouragement that uh, sure. they know that we're more than. <clears throat> The missionary should have you more than just a check writer. That's why we do prayer letters, and you demand them every month or every three months at least, or uh, you have them emailed to you. Well, it goes the other way, too. The missionary will never demand it, but 
boy, will you encourage them. Just investing a little handwritten note, hey, I prayed for you today, and I mean it, and that was important. Uh, we mentioned Bill Barron's earlier. He would text pastors that were young in the ministry on Sundays or Saturdays and say, I'm praying for you. As I travel around, good night, he's been, he's been gone six, several years, but those young pastors now are in, in the middle of their pastorates now, they've never forgot that. Just, right. just, they, so that's important for missionaries. Yeah. It's more than just just sending the check. It is having a planned program to encourage and let them know that you're still investing in what they're doing. So to that perspective, missionary young folks that might one day, five, ten years, whatever, be in the mission field next year, you know, the home church, part of that preparation that God has for them, involved in ministry, it's where they get a, uh, lack of a better word here, vision for missions. But that's important throughout their endeavors, too, because that's a church that's going to continue to strengthen them and aid them. As we're closing out, I want to direct your attention in a little bit different area. And we used the word successful a moment ago and kind of defined it as such, you know, they, they completed their mission. Paul talks about, I've finished my course. And everybody's course is different in the places they're going. But if I could get you just to reflect for a few moments on what are some characteristics of successful missionaries. And, you know, we looked at, um, you know, just a conversation this week, some of the reasons that individuals or families wind up coming off the field, don't make some inroads as they ought. Mm-hmm. Maybe reflect on that. What are just some of those characteristics? The missionary has to be always feeding his flock. And in an other culture, that there's, a, there's an added level than feeding a flock in the United States. Or if I was a Japanese feeding my Japanese Baptist church, is is I have to, this is what they need. This mm-hmm. is what their culture lacks. This is what I need to address. And you do that in a kind way. Yeah. And also as you acclimate into the ministries of missionary, and we discussed this earlier, is, and this is when that really you know you're there. When does a missionary really know when he is in the place where God wants him? Uh, the jet lag's over. The honeymoon stage of missions is over. It's uh, no one's calling you. No one's writing you. You are busy in the ministry. And I use this term, and all older missionaries go, yeah, that's it, is when the smell of that country and the smell of the people and their, their way they act and how they do does not bother you anymore. And then you become more as them. And Paul addresses that all things to all people where, you know, I'm going to sit down and, you know, eat that snake they're serving or, you know, eat that lizard they've cooked. And I'm going to sit there and eat with them like Christ would eat with the publicans. And that's a true sign as a missionary that you're getting where God wants you. And you don't dwell on what's back home. What are some leading things getting them to be part of that culture? It is you have to mix with people. You, you, I would go to New Guinea when I figured that out and I would show up at the house at 12 o'clock and said, I'll be back at six tonight. Here are two chickens. They knew what that was for. They're going to cook chickens and we're going to eat. Or, hey, can I, can you and I go on a trip? I'll take guys with me. We go in the jungle deep and just have Bible study for two or three days. They needed to see me getting yeah. dirty with them. How important was it to be able to relate to them in their language? 
Oh, that's it's that's the number one thing. It's an insult in the Asian culture for them to speak their language in front of a person that does not understand it. Mm. And once you learn that, and uh, then when I learned their language, it, it says, hey, he does care about us. And so pidgin's a trade language, but then there's another language called motu, and I would learn some of that. It, a lot of it's left me now, but that's where I lived, and I, I had an ear for it. And again, I want to say this. you got to let your wives mix. A lot of missionaries don't. And you'll learn the language as the missionary, and she'll learn it about five years behind you. <laughs> you know, your children maybe be a couple years ahead of you. Oh, the kids get it in like one week. <laughs> They're you know, the younger you are, the quicker it is. Right. And uh, and so I I just uh, encourage people. I, I took two years of language in Papua New Guinea, pigeon. Ten people started with me. I'm the only one finished that finished, and none of them lasted more than a month. And that was businessmen. But I stayed with that, and and when the people saw me, I would get an ear, and it gives you an edge as an American or anybody that they don't know if you know the language or not. And so when you say, hey, good morning in English, they go, Adabinamona, misavialgata, bomohuta. And, oh, okay, he knows both. So they'll go straight to English. Sometimes when we're in the bush, they can't speak English, and I'll have to go to their language. And then there's some, what they call one talk or, or not, there's 700 dialects. And there's no way I could learn those. But then I have the pigeon speakers with me. And what they always, it was in a kinship. They said, hey, he is learning our language. Sure. Here's the steak. He's not learning my language. Here's a bone. Right. They, that's, they, you went right up the pecking order. And that's a good thing for the missionary, but also for the people that you deal with. And that's how you learn those nuances. Yeah. You you mentioned the wife uh, let her mix with the people. I think was your words. How important is the marriage relationship for a missionary? Okay, some some missionaries go to the mission field with the concepts. He does the beans, the bacon, and the babies. I'll do the Bible, and that is so wrong. And in in Asian cultures, the woman I, this is honest. What I'm telling you, they, they the rank of the women there are way back in the back. In New Guinea, the women have to sit on one side of the church, and men sit on the other. When they do business many meetings, women aren't allowed in the meetings. It's just a split culture. Well, Yanks don't understand that. And when you go to that culture and try to Americanize that culture, they're going to tell you, go sit down. Okay. And when you have a uh, Valentine's or let's say marriage thing, you got to understand what their marriages are and then preach on that marriage. It's all in the Bible uh, and the husband-wife relationship. That is probably salvation's number one. Husband-wife relationships, number two. Family is three. And if you go into a culture where it's not like you've been raised, no matter how smart you are, how many college degrees you have, you do not understand that until you live in it. And, and then you're the example to them. You have to be the example. And just like, <laughs> this is funny, uh, we had a pastor come over, and uh, his wife and I and him and my wife, we've known each other for 30-some years. So they come over to New Guinea, <clears throat> Bill Barons, right? And so Bill comes, and he goes upstairs with my wife to put stuff in the kitchen. And I'm talking to Marley, and then our guest room's below our house, and I walk in the guest room below our house with Bill's wife, carrying suitcases. Sandy and Bill come back out. That was when he ate all my crispy. Or crispy. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and then Marley and I came out, and we, we were like a minute in the house, 
They're unloading their, all their stuff, and we're just talking. We hadn't seen each other in like three years. We're so excited. We come back out, and there stands about a 100 of our church people seeing me coming out of the house with Marley and seeing Bill coming out of the house with Sandy. And it's like, and we're just having fun as Yanks. I mean, just we were neighbors for all those years. They were in shock as a people. And Bill goes, what's wrong with them? <laughs> And Sandy goes, uh-oh. Marty goes, what do you mean? Oh, boy. So I had to tell them who we were, you know. Right. And they had been with me for three years as a church. But see, that's important. And, of course, God bless the thing. But it's so important that you get the, uh, the what their marriage status is, how they do it in their culture. They buy the wives there when they're young. It's called bride price. And we Americans, we spend the rest of our life paying for our wives after we marry them. But there they pay for them up front. Now, but I say this, that probably we, we did um, in our church when it grew. We had couples your age preacher there that had been married traditionally, but never married legally. And the country was coming into that. So we probably did, uh, over a couple years, I did 50 weddings. I was a celebrant there for our church people to make them legal so they could buy stuff. Right. So they could show they was, and you know, when they, when they trust you as the pastor, they'll understand, well, we need to get married legally. And then how do I navigate it? Well, you've got nine kids standing there and you've been together 25 years. And because you, you know, uh, circle some flowers and, uh, tied a knot there in the village, and you know, and he bought you that in in the sight of God, you know, it's really, really picky. Yeah, but they wanted to do it right, and that's another nuance <clears throat> when your church people want to do it right. And as I learned that, um, and I married everyone, everyone of them there, so. Talk about a great opportunity to have an impact on their marriages, too. Mm-hmm. And they, they never, no, I go back to the point, they never forgot that. Yeah, and right. Today, when I go over, oh, this is, the, they'll talk to their kids and grandkids. This is a big man, Moyette, that married us. He's the one. You know, before you ever showed up, he's yeah. the one. And uh, and that's when you know, you know, they call you a Talbutta, uh, and, and that means a white old man or big man, Moyette, or het, H-E-T. Man, and when they say that to you, that means they really respect yeah. you. And that's what you're after. You don't yearn for it, but you'll know, and they realize their smell, <laughs> what they eat, how they act does not bother you. And when you sit there with them in a death or in a marriage or in a family, their families are no different than the ones here in the States. Just a different language, maybe some nuances, but when they see that, that you care for them, and then that goes deep. So for someone looking towards the mission field, believing God might call them there, you know, developing the right relationships as it pertains to church and mentorship, developing some of those spiritual markers, patience, humility, discernment, mm. and, and then just having some um, strength in areas like uh, even beginning to prepare to understand the language and having a solid marriage or are all key to mm. someone that's going out. And I know that you've made a point of this in several conversations, say how important um, the foundation of a marriage is to a missionary if they're going to stay long-term on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of these are parts of someone's looking to move towards the mission field, things that they need to begin to sharpen even now. All right. Well, Brother Long, I really appreciate your time that you've had with us this morning. We go on and on and on. I I really have enjoyed it. Josh, why don't you sign us off? Give us a word for the day.
All right, our word for the day comes out of Acts chapter 13, verse 47. The scriptures say, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And with that, we want to thank you once again for joining us for another episode. And until next time, goodbye for now.